Hey everyone, and welcome to the 54th episode of the Liam McCollum Show. All right, so today's episode is kind of just a continuation of my previous interview with Montana State Senator Greg Hertz, and I'll link to that interview in the description if you want to watch that. But I talked with Hannah Lee, Katura Lamb, and Paige Hardman about the same food freedom bill, but we talk more about its impacts on the raw milk market. We also talk about the benefits of raw milk, the common objections and concerns, and the influence of the big dairy lobby in Montana. Also, I recorded this episode in a library and the intercom went off a few times, which made it a little hard to pick up what was being said a few times. So I chopped around it so you didn't have to hear that and did my best to do it in a way where nothing was lost. I think I did an all right job. But remember to watch the video interview on YouTube and subscribe to me there or check me out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Hope you enjoy the interview. Here it is. All right, everyone. So we have an awesome podcast here again. It's going off of my previous podcast with Senator Greg Hertz um, about the same topic, the Montana Local Food Choice Act. And we have some more people interested and some more perspectives. So I decided to bring them on. If you guys just want to introduce yourself, maybe start with Hannah, then Katura, then Paige. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, so my name is Hannah Allen. I'm the I'm a grassroots engagement director with Americans for Prosperity. My name is Katura Lamb, and I'm the oldest of 12 children, and we live on a small farm, very self-sufficient and involved in community. My name is Paige Hardman, and I'm a raw milk consumer. <laughs> Great. So now with this Montana Local Food Choice Act, um, Hannah, this, this question might be more directed towards you, but what was your relationship with this piece of legislation as like AFP, what do they do? And, and I guess, uh, were you close to this legislation when it was going through? Uh, Semi-close, you know, maybe closer than some most people, but um, our relationship with this legislation was definitely to support Senator Hertz, um, both in the House and the Senate, and then when it, once it got to the governor as well. Um, we did a, a pretty large phone banking campaign where um, we were targeting specific members of either the Senate when it was in the Senate or the House when it was in the House um, to try to get them to vote for it um, that we thought were maybe on the fence. Uh, and then once they got to the governor, we switched towards the governor's office, you know, uh, directing phone calls towards his office to with people that supported this bill. Um, and a lot of the time we talked about it as you know, a free, a freedom bill. Like this is a bill where people um, can choose, you know, who, who they want to purchase things from cottage foods, raw milk, um, you know, certain aspects of things that, uh, you know, were people were doing that people had no idea were illegal. Um, and, and most people were really on board with that. They were like, yeah, if I want to buy something at the farmer's market, I should be able to. So, um, directing those people towards specific, uh, legislators, um, usually people that were in there, like they were in that legislator's district and we do, we do that with all sorts of things. Um, so we do, we did that with other pieces of legislation in the legislative session. We do that, uh, during campaigns, during, uh, election season, stuff like that. So that those are really effective ways to make changes is to be patching people directly through to whomever their, their representative or senator is. Yeah. So I know a few of my listeners might not have heard my interview with Greg Hertz and they might not go back and listen to it before listening to this one. So um, just to kind of flesh out a little bit more about what this bill did, um, you kind of mentioned it right there before this bill, it was illegal to 
bring food to the farmer's market or just like these community meetings. So can you kind of speak that speak about that and and I guess more specifically um, what the bill did? Yeah, so um, it was illegal for, you know, a producer to like sell raw milk and for someone to, to buy it um, like as a raw milk product. That was one thing that changed with this bill. Um, it allowed small dairies, which is five cows, five or fewer cows, 10 or fewer goats, 10 or fewer sheep. Um, and it also uh, allowed other other like cottage food products to be made. There was a cottage food bill that I believe Greg Hertz himself like had introduced in 2015. Um, and this just like really expanded upon that. So you weren't allowed to like do baked goods and stuff like at a farmer's market, you could sell raw like vegetables, fruits, stuff like that, but not like baked goods or anything. Um, there are still some limitations on that. There are certain meat products that you're not allowed to, to do. Um, but like, if you want to bake cookies, you can go sell your cookies. Um, if you have like a fundraiser that you're, you're setting up outside of business and the business is like, yeah, you can fundraise outside of our business and you're selling like home baked products. That was illegal um, before this. And a lot of people did it anyway, because they had no idea. Cause like, who would have thought like that would be illegal. Um, but that's now legal. And so, uh, yeah, and it was really funny. My my husband grew up on raw milk, and I was telling him that it was illegal to to have raw milk in Montana, like to to purchase it from somebody. And he was like, "No, it's not. I grew up on it." And I was like, "No, it is." And he was like, "But my parents bought it." And I was like, "Well, they bought it illegally." <laughs> my friends yeah. like, um, and they might have not had any idea either. Like, I, they might not have known because it was just a family friend that had had cows that were producing milk. So. Um, you know, one of the things that we, we believe that like, you know, I don't have a problem going over to someone's house and eating a cake that they made. I don't really see why they shouldn't be able to sell it. And I think that AFP had a very similar perspective on that as far as like people can make responsible choices for themselves. And uh, that was a big reason why we supported it. Yeah. So Katura, to talk about your relationship with this bill, you told me before this interview that uh, you kind of just didn't really pay attention to the laws before, like there really was a black market that was going on. Um, yeah. Can you kind of talk about more of your relationship with this bill and, and what it was like, um, I guess, watching this process through the legislature and what this means for you? Yeah, um, I, I found it interesting. We didn't always live in Montana. We came from Missouri and we grew up on raw milk. It was easy to find. You could find it anywhere for about a dollar to $2 a gallon. And then we came to Montana and we heard that it was illegal to buy it. We used to just buy it from the Amish. And uh, so here we, we found that the cheapest to buy it for was $5 a gallon. And that was cheap here. So we were kind of shocked about that and we found it was illegal. So we bought it as pet food is what it was marked as at first. But we kind of just laughed at the lady who did it because we thought she was being a little bit too cautious about the law we're, we're sort of thinking, like if it's a stupid law you ignore it like if, mm -hmm. if, the, if a cop tells me I'm not allowed to wear pink flip-flops I'm gonna laugh at him you know kind yeah. of thing like that's how we view this raw milk thing like are you an idiot <laughs> like, <laughs> like I just went to Germany last year and it, you can buy raw milk in the grocery store and you come to Montana where it supposedly it's free in the USA you can't buy milk in Montana but you can in Germany in the grocery store so yeah we just at it and um 
told the lady we didn't care if she marked put pet food in the milk and we bought it just fine. And then, so yeah, but it did actually affect us in some ways. Like we just didn't just always laugh at it. We were really huge into selling at farmer's markets. And we made a lot of like custard pro products and cream cheese, cinnamon rolls and um, custard pies and bread and all sorts of stuff. And we went to this farmer's market and we just thought it was a lady being a tyrant. She wouldn't let us sell hardly any of our stuff. And I think it was partly the lady being a tyrant, but also this, the fact that a lot of the stuff was illegal, she was just kind of extra cautious about that herself. Mm -hmm. So Hannah pointed out earlier when I talked to her last week, that now we could sell at farmer's markets if we want to. I haven't dealt with the stress of farmer's market for about seven to eight years now. So I don't know if I want to get back into that, but it's kind of nice knowing that I can get into that if I want to. Yeah, yeah. and then. For if you guys know, like, um, are, are there, what are the benefits to drinking raw milk? Like, I, I've heard that there are a lot. So I, if you guys are aware. I'm not super well versed on it, but I can tell you that it's extremely good for your immune system. I mean, you're seeing a healthier feeling than ours. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the people who drink it, like your family, me, I mean, we don't really get sick very often. 12 kids, and <clears throat> we have only had a broken bone once. Yeah. And really what it comes down to is the processes of pasteurization and homogenization. They um, really alter the healing properties of the milk. I mean, it changes the structure of the milk. And so um, particularly like the enzymes, it makes it so it's nearly impossible to digest the milk. You hear about so many people with dairy issues. I firmly believe that they don't actually have a dairy intolerance. Um, I think if more people did dairy, like true raw dairy, that they wouldn't actually have a quote unquote intolerance or an allergic reaction. Pasteurized milk is highly allergenic just because of all of the processing. It's not natural. Yeah. So what, what do you often hear from people then? What are the objections? Is it, because I think in my analysis of it, it seems more that their worry is with the handling of the raw milk itself rather than than the raw than the raw milk because the objections are often around well it can get bacteria and stuff like that but but think milk, of like sorry i didn't mean to cut you off yeah. but think of like sorry but like the same things that are in breast milk that um are antibacterial are in raw milk i mean by god's design there's antibacterial properties to raw milk, if that makes sense. So I think a lot of that fear is unfounded. Um, I think that when you look at the death rates of, you know, people who have had raw milk versus pasteurized, I mean, you're not really going to find any raw milk deaths. Raw milk um, doesn't rot, whereas pasteurized milk does. Raw milk just sours. I mean, it's really different. And I think people's fear, to be honest with you, it just, um, it's basically saying that there's sometimes issues. So we just have to boil this milk and completely change its molecular structure to um, prevent anything from going wrong. But I don't know, in my opinion, it's an overreaction. And if the cows are treated properly, if, if it's not a huge mass production, a lot of those issues aren't an issue. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say like, um, it seems as if, if that's the only argument against raw milk, like there are plenty of other things that we eat that are that potentially have bacteria, like 
like chicken. I mean, when you're making chicken, if you don't cook it enough in your home. So that was just what I was going to say at the end there. Yeah. And it comes down to that, your health and my health and all of y'all's health, it's your responsibility. And there's risk with everything, but there's also reward. And um, yeah, I just think that people, you know, need to take responsibility over their own health. And um, you can oftentimes go meet these farmers and see the cows and see everything that's being done. It's very transparent and you build that trust there. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, you can go ahead. It's very easy to tell when milk isn't quite drinkable. Like you'll taste it the first sip and you're not going to get sick off of it. And when it gets to that point, you still really aren't going to get sick off of it. You just aren't going to feel so good. You might get a little bit of a tummy ache. And that's when the milk becomes best for baking. Mm -hmm. um, so raw milk going sour is a good thing. Yeah. If you want to make cheese or if you want to make bread, it's, and you don't get sick off of it. Yeah. And I would say that that was the biggest, or that was like the biggest objection that you heard from people, um, when I was like making phone calls and it didn't happen very often, honestly, but it was like a safety type concern, um, that, you know, if it's not being labeled or inspected or something by like the FDA, then therefore it's not safe. And therefore like people shouldn't uh, be allowed to buy or sell it. And, um, I, I think that people can make decisions for themselves and make informed choices. Um, and like Paige said, like, if you're concerned about like this, you know, sanitary concerns of the cow, like you could ask them if you could come to their, their ranch or their farm or whatever, be like, can I see how you do this? And I, I would say, especially like in Montana, we got a whole bunch of friendly people. So, you know, I don't, I don't think most people would have a problem with that. Oh, you yeah, so with this this piece of legislation, it's it requires you to label it, right? Is is that true? It requires you to say that it's not labeled. It's okay. not been expected. It doesn't need a label. It hasn't been. It like it is, you know, at your own risk. Um, and and people do have to be very upfront about that. This has not been expected. Inspected has not been processed by the FDA. Blah 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 stuff like that. So, um, people are informed. That was a part of the bill that it you had to be an informed consumer. Um, and that was part of that. Yeah. So, is there any other I guess red tape that um someone might still have to go around after this bill? I mean, we were kind of just chuckling with each other, <laughs> cutting up over here. She goes, really? It's just 10 goats? And we we just both looked at her like, that is the dumbest thing. Yeah, ever because heard. most people who have goats have more than 10 goats. <laughs> definitely more than 10, definitely more than five cows. But, you know, okay. Well, so a lot sorry. of people have less than five cows, but usually if you have goats, you have more than 10 goats. Yeah. Especially if you have baby goats, because a goat usually has twins or triplets or even quadruplets. And so easily if you if you buy just two or three goats one one year next year you're going to have up to 20 goats before you know it well it's lactating it's a lactating it's goat. a lactating goat okay so yeah i would say and lactating cows and sheep even now we have almost 10 milking goats yeah but i i would say that that is you know that's another thing um and it is expanding past um the the number that they've put on is like for dairy for for those things. Um, I think with some of the other cottage foods, the only barrier that you're really facing is 
um, something that Greg Hertz talked about in your interview, which was some of the meat stuff. Um, and that's a federal issue. And so that's going to, that's going to take some more finagling, but I think if we see through these next two years that people are buying raw milk, um, consuming raw dairy, and we're not having issues like the, you know, supposed concerns are, um, I think you make a really good case for expanding that number of, you know, make, potentially just not putting a number on it, not putting a cap on it, saying you can have as many lactating animals as you want selling selling th these products. I think the pushback there is is from um, dairy for, is is like a from the dairy market. Yeah, it's big dairy. It just really shows you how these corporations truly do control most everything, to be honest with you. Um, two things I wanted to say. The first thing, going back to the health benefit, I can just give personal testimony that um, I started drinking raw milk probably in 2016. And I mean, my hormones were healed. I had so many incredible health benefits. I mean, took away acne, took away, I mean, I could go down the line. Um, so I, I can- A girl who puts milk on her face and it takes care of her acne. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so healing, you guys. Um, and then the other thing you were talking about, the red tape, I was telling my boss about the recent legislation and that I was coming to talk with you guys about this. He was like, oh, great. So when can we buy it in stores? I was like, oh, no, <laughs> it's not like that. I mean, <laughs> it's yeah. very restricted. And in Germany, so. you can buy raw milk in the stores. Yeah, that was another thing I hadn't thought about is um, you aren't able to sell it in store. It has to go directly from um, producer to consumer. So that could be potentially another thing. Again, if we see the fact that like it's not causing people illnesses, mm -hmm. um, it expand like a, you know either an expansion on the bill or a new bill or something something like that. Um, that would be interesting to see. Uh, and I think some of those like definitely if there's a push to sell in stores, there's going to be pushback from from the dairy, dairy industry. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that there might be some more like health concerns. I don't know. I, it would be interesting to see kind of what, what that legislation would look like if it happens, if it's something that we want to push. And I don't know if there's actually federal issues that prevent it, just like the meat um, issue. Yeah. Cause um, one of the reasons there was there, Greg Hertz had originally put in the bill that if you bought meat, like at the store that was already processed and expected and stuff. Um, and you wanted to like put that in like like a meat pie or something and sell them at the farmer's market. That's not allowed. Um, and it, yeah. So, oh. and that has to do with federal regulations on like beef products and stuff like that. So there could be potentially federal issues as far as running into some of those things. Um, but I don't think that there would be federal issues running into having more cows because I'm, or, or sheep or goats. Um, cause I know other States, there are States that don't have a limit on it. So yeah. Think that would be okay yeah and then before we were talking i um katura you mentioned a little bit about how you are your family is also in like meats and stuff like that are you do you have any or do you see any of those restrictions coming from the federal government down or is that not do you guys not see that at all um we saw it in different ways um because that's a one of our main sources of not main sources of food but we I would say we eat a lot of meat and we try to eat mostly things that we either hunt or grow ourselves or we can get from a neighbor. 
So when we first came to Montana, one of the things that we had, like from Missouri, we could hunt as much as we wanted. We had a harder time hunting here. Even roadkill was legal at first. That's now illegal, thankfully, because we will often pick up 10 or 11 deer, and that's our main source of meat all winter. Wow. But yeah, we would sell chickens. We would do about, I would say, 500 plus chickens a year. And we would sell them a lot as starter chicks. So we would just start them out and then sell them as babies. But we also butchered quite a few. I'd say about two to 300. My brothers were doing most of these. And we would advertise them in the newspaper, Facebook, Craigslist, um, posters, flyers. And we would, um, we, we would just sell them as meat birds. And then people would ask if they were butchered or not. We'd say, we, this is the price and we can butcher it for you kind of thing. And uh, we did just fine with that. Never had any issues. Um, sometimes people wanted to butcher the bird themselves, but that was very rare. Um, every now and then somebody wanted to watch us butcher the bird. That was also very rare. <laughs> but um, yeah. But that goes to show again that like if you're, you know, consuming these products from, you know, someone local and you have a concern with like potentially cleanliness or how it's done or something like that, like you can go directly yeah. to that person. Yeah. And most of the time people don't mind that at all no. because we might laugh at you because <laughs> we, I don't even like seeing the chicken get bird butchered. So I don't know why anybody else would, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's going to get done quickly and not really watch the thing happen, but, um, yeah. And then we also do raise calves because meat and just all food products are a lot more expensive in Montana than they were in Missouri. So we could get, I don't remember how much, but we, we, we can get a cow for next to nothing compared to Montana. If you, you're paying hundreds of dollars mm-hmm. to get a cow. So we have 15 calves that we're raising this year for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We'll probably end up selling a couple. But. Yeah. And as far as the raw milk, I mean, I was genuinely shocked when I moved to Montana and just how hard it was mm-hmm. to get raw milk. That really upset me <laughs> because it's done so much good for my health honestly. Um, In Tennessee, I lived 10 minutes away from a Mennonite farm, and it was very simple. You just um, paid a one-time fee of $25 to be a part of the herd sharing group, and then after that, it was just honor system. You could go in their basement, in their refrigerators. Uh, A whole gallon was $3.50. Here, a half gallon is $5, and that's considered cheap. Mm. So, it's really different here. And um, it's kind of shocked me how hard it is to get your hands on raw milk. I mean, I still don't have a source in Gallatin County. I go toward Livingston for that. And I would like to see people feel more confidence that they can do this, that they're not breaking a law. It's not as black market. Um, and hopefully, you know, there'll be more people able to advertise without fear of any consequences. So. No, that legal right, and that's that's really interesting to me. So before this law, there wasn't any like licensure process. Could could people do it legally through any way, or was it just wow? This is that's unheard of. For I mean, look at all of the other states. Yeah, I mean, why is it so strict in Montana? Which is, to be honest, I've never met so many liberty-minded people in my whole life in one area, but yet our I can't even get raw milk. Like it just, we're not, people think, oh, America, Montana, so free. I can't even get raw milk. 
No, I don't believe there was any type of process for it. Like you had to become a dairy and then you would have to like pasteurize your milk, um, in order to sell. There are, I mean, there are like local dairies in Montana, like bigger dairies. I think there's a big one, like up in Kalispell. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And, um, but like they pasteurize everything. Like, so, you know, it's all in the store, right. It's a local dairy and like, you can get it, you can find it. I think you can find it. Homogenized, but pasteurized. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I think you can find it in like town and country and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you, you can see those products there, but they have been certified. They have gone through a process. Whereas like raw milk there, there was no avenue to do that legally. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I, I can't believe that. Um, so yeah, let me see if I have any more questions here. I think we're getting to the end here. Um, if there's anything else that you guys want to say, um, please do, and then we can let you go. I would just say like, I, I, you know, I think that this is a great step forward. Um, and not just like for raw milk, because I do think that that was, that was a big thing. That was some people um, in my community, because I, I, I community organize. So I get people together who, um, who, you know, are, are like-minded on certain topics. Um, and we have a, you know, wide variety of things that we engage on. Um, and this is some people's like biggest thing. This is their biggest issue that they cared about. And Montana was one, one of very, very few states that did not have raw milk. Like it was illegal to buy or sell it. I think California, it oh, was yeah, legal. You can. I listened to a podcast the other day of um, a raw milk farmer in California. Yeah. So yeah, a, a practically socialist state. <laughs> it's, it's legal. Germany. It's legal yeah, in, Germany. in the grocery store. In the grocery store. In yes. the store. And then here, Montana. And we, I just, I'm sorry. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> yeah. So it was, uh, you know, it was really fascinating to me because it wasn't like an issue that was even on my radar before I came, um, to, I started as a volunteer with AFP until I started volunteering with AFP. I had no idea that it was even a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to see this pass, I think was like really awesome. And I think a great step forward toward like talking about people being able to make the choices that they want to make, um, and working toward those things and working against, like special interests that wanted it to not pass. Um, And I think, you know, one of AFP's big, big um, issues that we engage on is cronyism. And I think that there was a lot of that and there was a lot of, that was a big reason why it wasn't going through in previous legislative sessions. Um, And so to see that that get shut down by our current governor, because there was a lot of pressure. I think it, I think it passed through both the house and the Senate fairly easily. Um, and there was pressure on the governor, uh, to not pass it. And I think it was, you know, a a cronious type of pressure and not really coming from a place of like, Oh, we really care about people's health, you know? Um, but more like we want a monopoly on this market and there's such a niche market anyway. Like, I'm like, I don't know how much competition you're really getting from raw milk people, but you know, especially if you only got five lactating cows, you know, yeah. per, per farmer, but, um, so ridiculous. But, but, you know, I think that that was like a really awesome victory for, um, AFP Montana. I think it was really awesome victory for Montanans in general to, to get to see that. And, one of the things that, you know, um, I would say to people who are very concerned about like consuming these goods is, um, then just don't do it. 
<laughs> I think I think even beyond health to a degree, it's food. And we should really question anything or anyone who tells us what we should or shouldn't be eating. It kind of like reminds me back of like in Robin Hood's day when they were out there illegally hunting and illegally getting food just so they could stay alive. Like, I mean, we're not quite that way. My family, though, we really heavily rely on farm products and hunting and that kind of stuff for just living. So we're not quite as extreme as back in Robin Hood's days, but it still makes me, it reminds me of those times. Like, who has the right to tell us what we can or can't eat? And if someone is telling us what we can or can't eat, should they even be in a position to be doing that? Exactly. Like, that's definitely tyrannical and we should be laughing at people who are telling us things like that, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. One last thing I wanted to talk about was the growth hormone that is injected into a lot of cows, especially at big dairies. Um, I just have a little thing here. It basically says that um, they do in order to increase the milk production and it's been shown to cause tumor growth, like cancer in people. But it says in one study done by Monsanto themselves, all the cows given RBGH developed cancer. The members of the FDA who reviewed the research just happened to be ex-Monsanto employees. So it just comes down to, I mean, big corporations controlling our food source. And at one point or another, people are going to have to try and take back that authority. We've given so much authority away um, in every arena. And this food, which is so essential, I mean, we really need to step up and, you know, question, like you said, if someone's controlling the flow of food, mm -hmm. what you can and can't eat, I mean, that is criminal. And I think that you, um, you and Senator Hertz had touched on something in your, in your podcast too, about, um, especially with like COVID last year and talking, you know, about food security for people, the ability to, especially in a place like Montana, where you have so many people growing their own food, um, having their own farms, you know, having their own food that they can buy and sell and share with people, having the ability to do that legally, um, is I think very important and really cuts down on potential food insecurity problems. Um, you know, especially if, so, if certain stores or the federal government start saying like, oh, you can only have this many eggs or you can only buy two gallons of milk or, you know, what, what have you. I think being able to find another source for those things is, is um, really important. Uh, and cause like, I mean, I think it was, a lot of stores limited how many people could have it because they didn't want, you know, it going a shortage. But like my, I, I feel like I'm surrounded by big families. My, you know, my, uh, my father, my husband's family, uh, he's the oldest of eight and they still have quite a few children at home. And so there's, you know, they're big family and it's like, they need to buy more than a dozen eggs at a time if they're not going to go to the store. And then, you know, same like with you. They, they told me you have one box of spaghetti during that, the pandemic. And we're like, one box of spaghetti is going to feed 12 kids. Yeah. And I was going to say like, or like Katerina's family, you know, like you get limited on, you know, you can buy two gallons of milk. Okay. That's going to last maybe a day. Like, yeah, and my uh, sister, a gallon and a half of milk a day. Yeah. My sister, my sister has seven children or yeah, seven. <laughs> I had to think about it. Um, 
seven kids. And so it's, you know, and she, she was like, she goes to Costco and typically it has to have her, her oldest, like push a second cart just for a regular trip, just like a regular trip to Costco. And, um, she, <laughs> during the whole pandemic thing, she was like, you know, we're not hoarders. Like we're not, you know, trying to like buy up all the food. Like we need this much food in order to not have to go to the store like every single day because they have big families. So, you know, when you have situations like that too, um, and you're not just like me and my husband where it's just the two of us soon to be three, but just for now still two. And, you know, it's like, we, you know, we can make a a Costco trip last a month. Whereas like some people that's a weekly thing and they're buying a lot of food. Um, if you have anyone limiting that because of a pandemic or what have you, like honestly, I mean, think of truck shipments, things, I mean, things can go wrong. We learned that in 2020. I mean, people back in the great depression learned that. I don't know why we've gotten away from that of being Mm self-sufficient. And I think that we need to kind of promote that in culture, in society. Um, because things do happen and people do have a right to, um, have their own food and be able to feed their, their own family and other families in their community. Yeah. And then like the situation, like that happened in Texas, just this past year where people couldn't get food where they can get really scary. Most households, if you know, electricity went out, whatever people would only be able to survive for like three days, honestly. Yeah. So So having the ability to like go to your, your local person and they're so easy to find in Montana because they're just all over the place that people who have chickens and have eggs and have milk or have beef or, you know, what, what have you, um, or, you know, they, they do vegetables and they have greenhouses and stuff like that. Like being able to, to find those people and be able to interact with those people freely, um, that's so important. And I think, and it also promotes like a community too. It, it, it promotes knowing your neighbor and, and being part of, you know, more than just a little tiny bubble. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that those things are really important. So that, that is such a, an aspect of this bill that I think, you know, it could have, have very well gotten it pushed through, like finally, because this has been something that's been on the docket for quite a while. Um, uh, so it was, it was glad, like, I was very happy to see, um, happy to see it pass, happy to see our hard work pay off on the, on the bill. Um, and excited to see what, what the future holds as far as like maybe 2023 expanding upon it. So, yeah. And, and just a final point, like, like you guys said, just to reiterate, um, these communities that claim to want sustainability seem to actually have more of these paternalistic regulations in them. So I think that in in specifically in Montana, my work with the Libertarian Party in the future is really just going to try to create sustainable systems in Montana, especially with the amount of reliance we have on on the federal government and and elsewhere. So um, I I am really happy with this bill and all the work you guys did to it. That piece of legislation that originally went through, um, it was kind of challenging the USD. I know that it it got a warning from the USDA, which was super cool. So I, I hope that piece of legislation that kind of um, gets that the federal overreach out of Montana, I hope that really, really does go through in the future. And I would urge you guys to keep that up. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Liam. I really appreciated being on your on your podcast and getting to talk about this issue because it was one of those ones that I was, AFP engaged on like, oh, 
like 60 bills or something like that. And uh, I was kind of in Bozeman for most of them. I didn't like to travel very much. Uh, and so this is one of the ones that I actually really got to engage on. And it was um, really awesome to see it get passed through. So yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. yeah thank you. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Yeah, you too.